up. There we go. He's connected. We recording. We recording. Here we go. Finally. There you are. Morning, guys. Hey, hey Tim. Morning, Tim. Good morning. Do you want us to see you or are you bashful? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> push the push the there, there's a stop video on the bottom left side of your screen. Oh, if you don't want to look at me, I'll turn it off. <laughs> oh no. We, <laughs> we, we, uh, We're good. It depends on how uh, how well dressed you are. We don't want to feel bad about ourselves. So if you're well, I got a hole in my shirt right here, so <laughs> <laughs> perfect. You just got in from feeding the horses and living the life. Yeah. Nice warm winter morning out there today. Have you had any winter? Because uh, we have certainly not. The other day we got about three quarters inch of rain and then snow on top of that. And it's been what they call freezing fog for the last three mornings. Yeah. But not a lot of cold, though. Freezing fog sounds cold to me. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Usually this time of year we're down in the teens, but we're only in the upper twenty or mid twenties now. So I bet we haven't had three freezes, maybe four, all year yet. Uh -huh. We still have yeah. dying mesquite leaves on the mesquite trees. Like it, there's, it's, it's not been cold. Well, yeah, it hadn't. It's been a warm fall and early winter for us, but. They say we're changing over to to an El Nino pattern, and I think we're supposed to get more moisture. And I'm thinking you guys down south will too. But I think Carrie, you guys have had quite a bit of weather, haven't you? No, actually, up here, and that's the difference. I think they the top half of the United States are calling for for uh, drier and and uh, warmer, and you guys are supposed to get wetter and colder. So. And yeah. so far, that's been the case. It's we haven't had much winter here yet. So yeah, the mountains are up above Durango and up in there are getting quite a bit of snow, which is good. I just assume they get the snow and we get the warm weather and rain. But... Sure. Well, Willie, we should make yeah. a proper introduction here, shouldn't we? Absolutely. Go ahead. The we man. got our old buddy Tim Cox. He's on here. Uh, First of all, I want to congratulate you, Tim. Uh, we talked on the phone there a week or two ago about the award. Uh, what was it? People's Choice Award or something? What best, do they call it, Willie? Best of the West. Best of the West. Tim Cox rose yeah. to the top of the food chain. No surprise <laughs> there. He's the man. And the only other thing that you've you've won is like a loaf of bread at the local. <laughs> <laughs> I won a cap at a calving seminar on how to deliver calves and I won a cap and then I want to split the pot at a basketball game and I donated my half of the pot back to the basketball team so that's about it on winning things so so this is really big stuff for you then yeah and <laughs> and Wilson he was a finalist in his category too yeah, well, I was I was what they call honorable mention, which my old daddy was honorable mention behind you. So that's cool for Pop too. Yeah, that's cool. That's yeah. awesome. 
And really? congratulations to your dad, too. That's awesome. Yeah. We didn't have any idea that was even going on, and they sent it to us. And nice surprise. Well, I, I did everything I could to try to load the pot. I, I told all the social <laughs> media and everybody. <laughs> I, still, I still only got honorable mention, so I'm happy about that. It's all good. He stuffed the ballot box. I did everything I could. Yeah, I had, I had all my girls and the junior high girls, my workshop Wednesday followers. I had them all going on it. Good thing I did. I wouldn't even got a wouldn't even got an mention. That's all. <laughs> no, no, you're great at what you do, Wilson. One of the very best in the world. Well, you know what. Uh, I know some guys that are better than me, but nobody else knows them because they stay at home and do what it is they do. And this uh, here business thing <laughs> that we talk about is it's important, I guess. It's yeah. Important. All we all get where we are by different means too, arriving where we are today. So this is true. in our a careers. Of, a lot of different ways to skin the cat, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been doing it for 47 years now professionally, so, and 66 years old, so started when I was 17 years old doing it professionally in the galleries. Wow. That's a long, long run. So we were talking about this the other day, Tim. Um, so you got to show up for work even if you don't feel like going to work. I think a lot of people think you're artists. Oh, you just sit around and wait for that muse to show up, and then you, <laughs> then uh, you get inspired, and then you go to work. But until then, you just kind of loaf around and eat bonbons. Isn't that how it works, Tim? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, I work seven days a week, usually twelve hours a day, and and that's semi-retired at twelve hours a day. I. A lot of times I'd spend when I'm working on deadlines, 36, 48 hours without sleeping just to get hmm. the deadline done. And now that I've gone emeritus, it's, I'm down to 12 hours a day. And that's like taking a vacation now. So <laughs> sitting here by this easel all alone every day like that. It, it's just what I've always done like mm -hmm. I said, for 47 years, but I've, started i don't ever remember not drawing ever and I, my earliest memories are laying on the floor drawing on paper bags in my mom's kitchen and then the kindergarten teachers <clears throat> calling my parents in and i'm thinking i'm in trouble and all they want to do is because i was kind of an honorary kid but <laughs> this time they were told my parents they needed to get me some uh, training on my art when i was in kindergarten and, and so they searched around and found a lady that was teaching retired folks kind of at the country club at golf course and went there for a while and that didn't really fit. So I just kept doing it on my own and I blessed with a wonderful community of Duncan, Arizona that the whole community supported me all my life and had me do special projects paint billboards on the outskirts of town and welcoming everybody into Duncan, Arizona and doing school projects. And then they started buying the eighth grade teacher offered me $5 for a painting I did on a piece of paper. And I thought, shoot, yeah, I can handle that. And then the, <laughs> then, then the, the other eighth grade teacher bought one and then the kids started buying them and my dad started selling them. That's, 
think I was 12 years old then when I sold my first one. And that's what I've been doing other than cowboying my whole life. That's cool. It's, it's funny how uh, things fall in the way they do. I mean, I, I sure didn't set out to be a bit sperm maker, but it just happens. And that, that's what it sounds like to you. Just it was there and you kept charging a little harder than me. I will say I have never spent 48 hours in a row working in the bit and spur shop. <laughs> I burned my stomach out with coffee. I'll tell you. <laughs> I can't handle too much of it anymore. I've gone down to tea now, green tea, one of them health food deals. <laughs> but yeah. It, and when we, and then I got married when I was 17 years old and, and I had academic scholarships to ASU and NAU, full ride to ASU. One academic one as a junior also that helped pay for part of that. And in a couple of weeks before I was going to graduate, I went to my dad and told him I was going to get married. And he said, okay. And he had, because he had to sign the papers because I wasn't old enough. And so two weeks out of high school, Susie and I got married. And she gave me a, for our wedding gift, she gave me a art class uh, in Carrizoso, New Mexico. And when I went over there, they <clears throat> went to the class and it was, the instructor's name was Frederick Taubus. And he was a Polish guy and he sold art supplies. At, I think it was through Windsor Newton that he had a line of art supplies, mediums and different things. And he was kind of bordering on the edge of abstract, probably more abstract than realism. And I went in the class and all the other people who were attending come up to me because I was young, 17 years old. And I was working on a painting of uh, some horses in a stream. They come up and all started telling me, Tim, don't get your feelings hurt if if he don't like your artwork, his artwork's different than yours. He probably not going to like it. And I said, okay. And he come in and looked over my shoulder and in a heavy Polish accent said, your horses are more horsey than the horse. And, <laughs> and he liked it. And by the end of the, the class, it was a week long class there. And, um, yeah, I think everybody in the class ended up buying artwork from us. Susie still has the book that she took the orders for, and there's like 12 wow. orders of, for paintings. Uh, uh, so that got us going pretty good with some money after, I think when I got, after I paid for the marriage license, I had $4 left. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it helped quite a bit to have that, sell all those paintings. And, and to, to label ourselves, you know, whatever, but your, your art is realism, right? Isn't that how you describe it? Yeah. And I've always been into the realistic stuff. And I, even as a kid, the, I used to enter my artwork. Well, the high school, I'm not high school, but the school teachers would enter my work in the County fair and I wasn't winning any awards. And finally my fifth grade teacher got tired of it. And he went up, to the judges and says, why aren't you giving this kid any awards? And they said, well, we think he's tracing. And he said, that's a bunch of crap. He, I stood right over him and watched him draw it. He is not tracing. And so after that, I won several grand champions and they, <laughs> he convinced them anyways. <laughs>
Well, mm -hmm. with technology that, that happens with projection and printing and all the different things that can happen with technology, I'm sure you do get labeled that way of just projection or whatever, you know, with what goes on. So, yeah, it, I've often thought, man, it would make my life a whole lot easier. I might be a little faster if I didn't have to do all this by <laughs> hand. <laughs> but I, I torture myself and get it done. It, and I've always liked the realism. I think the cowboys in my part of the country always appreciated realism and seeing things that they could relate to and that yeah. told the story, the small details. And I always liked hearing those type of remarks i remember my first cowboy job i was eight years old that's when i first shot my first horse when i was eight years old like i said the shoes didn't stay on very long but <laughs> i kept putting them back on until they stayed so without crippling the horse but anyway i the cowboys would nail what i would draw on whatever piece of paper i could find and they would nail them up in the barn and remember giving one painting to an old cowboy on that I'd done on Masonite of a Bronx snubbed up in a corral and he loved it. So I didn't have a frame on it. So he just got a nail and nailed it to the wall and said, okay, however you want to hang it, it's up to you. It ought to stay there. And it, at least he got enough of it to hang it. So. Absolutely. Well, that's cool. Telling those stories and life experiences, you know, you're a little bit of cowboy. And we we brought it up last week, right, Kerry? Do you have to be a cowboy to, to do what oh, yeah. you do? Yeah. And uh, yeah. it's got to help, right, in your world? Oh, yeah, yeah. And that's a big part of it. Uh, I, I think in art, if you do what you know and what you're familiar with, they're uh, – people can see that that gives it heart and soul and you can't fake it at least not no. to the people that really know what you're painting or creating and you see a lot of people now a lot of really good artists taking up the western theme of art and i can tell the gear the the, the nice wall hangings and images but they aren't telling the story they don't like say they put woolies shaps on guy in the summer in the middle of the desert and <laughs> different headgear that wasn't ever around at that time and you guys probably noticed that on some paintings too being the great gear makers that you are and artists that you are that I just think an artist needs to paint what they want. I mean, what they live and, and a lot more heart comes out in the artwork. You know, I remember, right. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I remember I was in a big art show in Houston in the early years and they wanted all the artists to go to Paris and show that we could paint Paris and street scenes and everything else. And, <laughs> I, I I don't want them coming over here and painting cowboys. I'm not going to go over there and paint their stuff. It, it I'm I paint what I paint, and that's it. So I I wouldn't go. I I get a little hard headed sometimes. But <laughs> it didn't seem to hurt. <laughs> well, you know, I, I I am a bit and spur maker, but just because I'm a spur maker doesn't mean I can 
tell the story of a California pair of spurs worth a darn. That's not my world, right? And I do it occasionally um, because I, I take the challenge, but it's always obvious to me, and I'm I assume it is to some others that that's not Wilson's story, man. That's I'm Texas spur maker. Now I like the California bits, and I've done a whole bunch of it. Um, I, I can I can tell a lot of different stories with the bridal bit, but a pair of spurs, I it gum puzzles me on that. So I completely understand. You know, stay in your lane, do what it is that you do, and you can broaden it, but you got to be careful when you do. It, it shows real quick. Yeah, you can step out every once in a while and and see if there's something else you might want to do and, and experiment a little. And it, you may learn something from that experience that you can bring back to what you really do do. Right. Yeah. You know, in that cowboy part of it, that was a big part of how Susan and I got started, too. We stay on those old isolated ranches and I'd day work and then paint all night and we lived in some really isolated places without electricity or, and the running water was from a spring and gravity fed. And I'd paint at night with two Coleman lanterns beside my head and in a small bathroom and it had propane lights and, but it was a white bathroom and I had a little tripod easel that I could sit up and take down when I went in there. And, uh, but that, small bathroom with white walls uh, reflected more light so I could have enough light to see and then I'd cowboy during the day and it like I say it really isolated there was <clears throat> one night it got so cold in there we took the mattress off the bed and started out and put it by the fireplace because we didn't have any heat except the fireplace and the, an old wood cook stove and we started up drug it into the living room and you could feel that air rushing across it. That fireplace really did draw it, drew all the warm air right out of the room too. <laughs> so <laughs> we, by the end of the uh, night, we were under the mattress trying to stay warm together mm -hmm. there on the floor and it had been raining and, so muddy yet we couldn't get out on the roads and it froze over that night and I hooked up an, an old handmade open top green two-horse trailer and loaded everything we had and we left that place <laughs> that night that day on that hard freeze and and we never went back there and we let the guy know and we were basically they didn't have any cattle that we had to worry about then and the horses were turned out but so I didn't leave him in the lurch, but man, it it was cold <laughs> that night. <laughs> There's a lot of old stories on that. We finally tried to get an old uh, generator. It was an antique generator, and to turn the every time you turned the light on, you had to go adjust the voltage on the thing. And my dad was working on it, and he was always a kind of a mechanic and. Before we moved to that place, we had just bought a new Zenith TV, and they're a lot different back then. They were in the big heavy boxes and cabinetry on it. And he said, "Let's see if we can that TV can get any reception and how it works." And so we went out and tied a piece of hog wire on a, a juniper tree and run some uh, antenna cable, tied the two ends of the. In, 
antenna cable onto it and went back in the house. And for about a couple of hours, we watched Mork and Mindy and a few other shows, but there was about 15 Mork and Mindy's on the show. There's a whole, <laughs> whole bunch of them on that television screen. And then he, he got to look and he says, look how bright that light bulb is. And so he went out to adjust it some more and he blew the TV up, just blew the, the <laughs> so we never saw any more Mark and Mindy's. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that place well, is. Well, Tim, uh, back, what was it? 2015? Didn't we, it was not the year we collaborated on that. You did a painting, uh, you called trading treasures for cowboy crossings back in the days when we were exhibiting with the CA and, and you'd approached us about doing some work on a, on the frame for that painting. And, uh, I remember being on the phone one time, you're, you're telling me, ah, I got this bronc out here and I don't know if he'd bucked you off one time or was bucked a few times for you and, and stuff. And ah, I got to get, get going here. I got to get back out there and get on that bronc. And I, I said, Tim, is there anything I can say or do to keep you from doing that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I. But you did. <laughs> yeah, I went out there, and it was one. My daughter does most of our horse breaking anymore, but every once in a while we have one that comes along that she kind of gets a little scared about, rightfully so. And this was a big old blue horse we called Mongo was his name and i don't know if you remember the character in blazing saddles oh, yeah. mongo but uh so we this horse's name was mongo and i had i decided i was going to have her snub me up to a horse and we had a the horse that we used to snub up to he had led a lot of horses but he had never taken a jerk uh, anything heavy and so she had me snubbed up and I went to step up on that bronc on old Mongo and he jerked away and about jerked her and the horse over and that jerked a lot of slack in the lead rope and he <laughs> took off bucking a couple of times and he kind of turned back and somehow <clears throat> the rope, the lead rope got under my leg and she had got a hold of her dallies back again but mm -hmm. i was on a longer line and i went up there and that mongo went to bucking and when that rope come tight it was under my left leg and it just yard darted me right in out of that saddle into the that dirt and it knocked all the air out of it. me it broke three ribs it drove my uh, scapula into my ribs and mm. broke them. And when I took my shirt off, you could see all the seam and all the stitching from my shirt tattooed on my, my shoulder where I hit on there. <laughs> and uh, I, had, I was trying to get the deadlines for Pretty West done. And so I had to lower my easel down about my, my knees because I couldn't raise my arm because <laughs> every time I moved my arm, that scapula would go right across those broken ribs and so i had to just paint from the elbow i couldn't move anything more than from the elbow and the wrist and but i got it done i got the paintings done so, but i wish i'd taken your advice carrie and on that painting, 
that was one of my favorite paintings to this day that I've ever done. I think, but I think the collaborations with you guys and carrying the story of the painting all the way to, to the edge of the frame with the, the carved inlet that you did and the corner cartouches. I learned a word from Wilson, what those corner decorations were called were cartouches. So you're, you educated me on that, well, I, Wilson. You and, you created that the need for me to find that word too, because you said, <laughs> "Can you do this?" I said, "Oh, sure, absolutely." And then I go to try to figure it out, and I'm like, "Ah, oh, crap." <laughs> that was a cool uh, collaboration all the way around, and Hardy did the nameplate and silver engraving on that. Yeah. I wish we'd brought Pablo or Leland or a braider in and did something on the inside fillet some something on that that's the only regret i have that we didn't include them but it's still to this day one of my favorite paintings oh that's cool and i had to get up i had to get up my op buy an optivisor and cut my brushes down to just a couple of hairs to paint all the little ornamentation on spurs and yeah. the carving that harry did on i forget what it was what was it I put in there? Carry a pair of shafts. Yeah, the head stall. Head and, stall. Uh, yeah. I think yeah. Pablo had a Rietta in there. and I can't remember what all. It was all in there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you Pretty guys. cool. And then some older pieces. I think they had a pair of Crockett Spurs in there. Mm -hmm. At their old shanks and stuff. But anyway, that was a fun painting to do. Oh, what a, and what a cool story of the West, right? I mean, I grew up with people trading. That was a big deal. They had their trading bag. Did you bring your trading bag, you know? And and, uh, and the, the crew was all the time trading this from them or whatever, you know, back and forth. You see things go. So that's, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, I've got a whole, whole wall in our house that is nothing but old bits and spurs that I've traded for through the years. And they're my treasures. We have it displayed on a wall and running out of Space to put it all in. We need to get a bigger wall, Tim. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. My studio is starting to get full too, so I, I, it's fun stuff. Though I really appreciate what you guys do. Well, we're all telling the story of the West. We're all in it together, and that's what was fun about getting to know the CAs. And you know, when y'all were when we're all together. And, um, through the years has created some pretty special friendships and, and, and to understand, you know, I mean, I think, I think our two worlds knew the similarities all along, but then sharing that with the world was pretty special too. Al, it is just a story of the West. Yes, I agree, Wilson. And that, I really liked it. Those shows that we did at the hall, those years, those were, I related to you guys, a lot because of the gear and a love for the gear in the West. And you guys were businessmen and had to run businesses yourself and didn't just have galleries representing you and it, your business since showed up all the time and was able to learn from you guys. That is the one big difference about our two worlds and, and it may be changing in your worlds now. I don't know how the gallery influence is, but we've never had any of that. I mean, we've had little tidbits of, of things happen, but we, we are not represented by anybody. We don't have a selling agent, so to speak. It's, it's up to us. We wear the hat that covers all of it. And, uh, and, and y'all have, y'all do have, do you have 
galleries representing you very much, or do you do most of it? Not so much anymore. I, I'm so slow. I usually just do the shows, the major shows like Pretty West and used to be the CA show. Now it's down to the CA show, but Settlers West and Tucson, uh, I participate in their shows, but I don't have any artwork during the rest of the year to give them to sell, but I started out when I was 17. I, uh, Grant Speed, how that all came about, Grant Speed, a sculptor of the CA, uh, came by to visit our one of our neighbors that was a horse trader and trainer. And he says, hey, Tim paints over here. You ought to go look at his artwork. So um, the neighbor brought Grant Speed and another guy over to look at my artwork. And Grant seemed impressed. And he told me, he said, you ought to bring your artwork down to Scottsdale in October at the CA show. And I'll introduce you to the gallery down there. And so I got a couple of paintings done and loaded them up in, in my old 69 Chevy pickup without any air conditioning and drove to Scottsdale <laughs> and took them to the gallery down there and Grant introduced me and Candy Bedner and Ginger Renner were running trailside galleries then. And uh, Ginger was a one of the main authorities, her, she and her husband, Fred Renner, on Charlie Russell. But Candy Bedner was the assistant there, and she took me right in when I was 17. And so I started uh, showing in the galleries when I was 17 and been and stayed doing that for quite a while until I got up into some of the more major shows that I didn't need the gallery representation. But she always told me, you're so slow, the gallery not going to spend a lot of time promoting you because you don't create enough artwork. Right. for them to have a good income off of you. So Susie <clears throat> started taking over on that. And and when we lived at e on Eagle Creek, there we moved that from that place I was talking about earlier where it got so cold, we moved to Eagle Creek to the Double Circles house. And then that burnt down on us. And there's a whole long story on that deal. But uh, Jake, our son was two weeks old then and yeah. and the house caught on fire in the middle of the night and we just barely got out <clears throat> with our lives and our <clears throat> excuse me and our clothes and what well, that that was 1979 and that I went to Texas Art Gallery and had our best show ever that year they had an auction and one of my pieces went for Ten thousand something dollars and a couple of other pieces, and uh, so we had a good check. And I had bought Susie a, a Baldwin Fun Machine, which is a, an organ that put, synthesized different other instruments, and then bought her new washer and dryer. <clears throat> and we didn't have any electricity there, and all we had was an old Navy generator that you had to hand crank, and it was a propane and it about wore you out if you to get that thing started i mean you had to be a stout son of a gun and have a lot of energy to get that thing going <laughs> so, to pump some water and to do laundry <clears throat> and so i we had that in the house and when it caught on fire 
I ran out in my <clears throat> holiest underwear and was chopping through the the <clears throat> wood of the back porch there where we had had the washer and dryer trying to save it. Excuse me just a minute. Yeah. <clears throat> something in my throat there. But anyway, and soon as, and I'm chopping through that wood wall there. It, it was this clapboard type house. It didn't have any insulation in the ceiling or floors set up on blocks. So it was built just like a Boy Scout fire and nobody had lived in there since the fifties. And we had this shovel rat manure out with a square point shovel and went to town to the dog catcher and got some cats and threw in there and the rats run the cat through the screen door <laughs> and they come <laughs> and he'd lay in bed at night and he'd hear those rats up in the on the wood in the ceiling running around and it sounded like a chihuahua dog running around on with long toenails on a hard wood floor <laughs> and we went in there and anyway so that fire was really a blazing when it when i woke up that night the room was just totally orange and it was the most demonic feeling i've ever experienced it was it, it was creepy and like i said we got jake out and susie put him in the pickup and her one-eyed toy poodle and <laughs> i went grabbed that <laughs> and I grabbed the axe and ran around and started chopping through that wall. And I'm trying to hold myself in with one hand because those jockey shorts had a hole in them that kept falling out. <laughs> anyway, and and Susie went and got the garden hose, and it was all gravity fed, and it only run out there about two inches out the end of the hose it was just barely running out but she had it holding on my back and it was 10 degrees out there and she was freezing me on the back side and i was burning <laughs> and i told her quit susie you're freezing me <laughs> oh man so uh i as soon as i cut through there that fire just shot out through there that extra oxygen i guess oh, just yeah. shot out through the hole so we just she was in a flimsy nightgown and she'd been to town that day, which was an hour and a half drive to the doctor. And that's where our nearest phone was too. It was almost three hours to the nearest decent shopping. And, but the Marenzi had a company doctor at the mine there, the copper mine in Marenzi and that she had been gone back for her, two week checkup after she had had Jake and come home and we were all tired and give out. And, but she had on a flimsy nightgown that she had slept in. And so we had to load up. Neither one of us had any clothes at all, except what we had on our backs. And, and all I had was that holy pair of underwear, but she was more <laughs> presentable than I was. So we had to drive to the nearest neighbors and she got some clothes and, then we drove on a little further. I stayed in the truck, <laughs> but she got something to be more presentable. And then we drove on to Mac and Stella Hughes and Mac was about the same size as I am. So he, he gave me some clothes, but 
I, I don't know how we ended up with so many clothes after that, the whole community and <laughs> around the county mm. sent us clothes. I had army clothes. I had all kinds of clothes and Susie did too. So it was really touching to us to see how people pitched in and helped every way they could. And then when we went back after that night of fire, we thought we'd try to find something that we might be able to salvage and, it was just a pile of tin from the roof there. Everything had burnt. The, they had a big old claw bathtub, porcelain claw bathtub in there, and it had melt in the, melted the porcelain off of that tub where it run down like hot icing on a cake and went into the where the wood cook stove had a beautiful wood, that blue speckled mm -hmm. enamel cook stove, that double uh, oven and had a water heater on it where it run the pipes around and then had a tank to heat the water and it had melted all the enamel off that cook stove and mm. we finally found our piggy bank and there was a melted handful of pennies and dimes and quarters in a that all melted together and mm. and that's about all we got out of there there wasn't anything there was nothing. We thought the Corel dishes were going to make it. We sent set them out, but as soon as they cooled off, they just shattered in a million pieces. Yeah. And it's kind of funny or interesting to me, anyway, that sitting there <clears throat> when we went back and drove up. That smoke had kind of a haze in the valley there, and there was several bald eagles sitting in the trees around there. And I always figured it was because they were catching all the rats that ran up from under that house. They had a whole a field day of getting all those rats that evacuated the house when it burned down. So, but, and, and then we went to the seven cross a cookhouse and fixed it up and nobody had lived there for, a, I don't know how many years either. And we're cleaning on it and, and kind of pushed on the, front mantle part of the face of the fireplace in there and it fell over and went through the floor so we had to patch a big hole in the floor <laughs> and, and all that, that house had was a kit uh, the kitchen a bathroom and one bedroom and it had a porch so we put a bunch of plastic uh, on the screen in the porch and was able to put jake out there in a crib out there but i mean it so I have to that stop just, you right there. That, that it must be an artist thing because my dad did the same thing to his son. Lived in a little house, one bedroom, had a porch on it, so he put plastic around it, and then there I was. That was my bedroom. So I I, <laughs> yes. I know what Jake went through. Now I didn't live in cold areas, y'all did, but thanks, Paul. <laughs> Appreciate it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there was the porch on the main ranch house that another couple our friends were living in they let me paint there so I had an old gas uh, heater in there and <clears throat> I put the plastic around the porch there to be able to paint in there and well in that house that burnt down we had to put that clear plastic on all the windows because the oh. wind would blow through there so heavy you, you like never got that house warm and and while we spent all summer working on the house that burnt down <clears throat> and Susie 
and the neighbors would work on it. And she was pregnant the whole time and had to bathe in Willow Creek, Eagle Creek and Willow Creek come together right there at that place. And, and there was a big Indian ruin there too. It, I forget how many different cultures of Indians through the centuries lived there. But uh, it, it was an interesting place. But I remember <clears throat> her bathing in the creek, and both of us, and her and her big old belly floating around like an island out there. She probably wouldn't <laughs> want me to say that. <laughs> you just told the world, Tim, dadgummit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but for a quick uh, shower, we put a nozzle on the end of a garden hose and would coil it up on the back porch and let the sun heat the water in the hose and you better have everything planned out because <laughs> that 50 foot hose didn't hold a lot of water yeah it did and i they had a lodge that there they were going to make it a movie studio at one point they had a landing strip and a big uh pine log lodge that we stayed in while we were fixing it all up and it was just uh corrugated tin on the roof and had no not even a ceiling in it and it had a kitchen ed in it and a bathroom and a great big old fireplace and hardwood floors and that's where the cattle growers would hold a dance every august we'd have the cattle growers meter meeting and hold a dance there and when Susie and I were dating we would go to those dances up there and it was a neat place but talk about cold in the winter time I that fireplace was all the heat I had and I'd go cut great big old four foot logs and put in there and ended up having to take a bunch of quilts and making like a tent around that fireplace and then I'd get in a sleeping bag up to my armpits and put on a ski mask and a heavy coat and gloves, and I would try to paint and stay warm in there. <laughs> paint with a ski mask and gloves. That paint was a little sticky, a little thick. Little <laughs> it didn't thick, flow yeah. as well as normal, but I, I got her done. You are hard-headed, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And not going through all that stuff that we went through and the places we lived in, I, the places I painted, you know, I, ne I never had the thought of, of, that we weren't going to make this. This right. It was just, this is what we're going to do. We don't have any other choice. You know, I, we, we didn't, and it, there was never any doubt. We weren't going to be able to get this done. And I'm, and I'm guessing surmising that as we tell, as we listen to you tell these stories and all that, and we think, oh, my gosh, the harshness and all you went through. But while you were going through them, it wasn't that you were unhappy or, or miserable or thinking life was treating you so bad. You were happy doing what you wanted to do, right, I'm assuming? That, you bet. And I, that was some of our best times of our lives, living there on Eagle Creek. The nearest telephone was an hour and a half away. The mail came on Wednesday. The kids went to a one-room school. <clears throat> we runoff power was off of generators at, for at night but that's where we met mac and stella hughes and some of our best friends and learning the cowboy under mac hughes he's in the arizona cowboy hall of fame and he 
quite the famous cowboy in Arizona, and Stella wrote articles for Western Horsemen. She mm-hmm. had a, a monthly article called Bacon, Check, Bacon and Beans, I think was her article, but it was on Chuck Wagon cooking, and she wrote a book on Mac Hughes that won the Silver Spur Award uh, mm-hmm. on his life It called The Hash Knife Cowboy. And it, that was some of the greatest experiences we ever had. And and for our kids to be able to grow up going to a one-room school. And our daughter went there, and she was the only girl out of, I think, six boys. And so she grew up pretty tough and with all those boys. But the other thing that I liked about that, those the kids learned how to get along with each other because they got a – in a fight one day, they didn't have anybody to play with. If they wanted to sew up, they had to learn to work out their problems. And it was just a great experience all the way around. They fished in the creek there in Eagle Creek and uh, rode a little gray pony all over the hills there. And, and it, it was just a great experience. Yeah, is- Sounds to me like somebody needs to write a book about Tim Cox. <laughs> <laughs> We've had a lot of people suggest that, but, you know, and uh, another deal that the first article that I ever got in a magazine or magazine cover, Stella sent it in in 1981 and she wrote the article and I had the cover of Western Horseman and that was the first one. And wow. since then I've had over 500 magazine covers and very few art magazine covers, maybe one or two, but, most of them are Western, uh, like cattle growers or cattlemen, Western Horsemen, Quarter Horse Journal, those type of magazines. But huh. it that's where it all started was Stella, and she was determined to help us, and she was a big help to us through the years, helping promote us. And and when the Seven Cross A sold, and we were going to have to move out of that place she sold us part of her land so we wouldn't leave Eagle Creek. And we put a house, a double wide trailer house on that place. And that was quite an experience just getting that in there because most people haven't ever traveled that road between Alpine and Morancy. It's the 191, I guess they call it now, but it used to be 666 and it's wide, windy and curvy and, and straight off on one side and a lot of places they didn't even have it it wasn't wide enough to paint the white outside border stripe they have on the highways and that hairpin turns and they said no uh vehicles over 40 foot on that road and a couple of the curves were had names like green tomato green tomato curve which <laughs> a whole load, truckload of green tomatoes turned over and dumped down to the bottom of the canyon. Another one, L and L curve, where Lyle and I forget the other guy's name, but they run the snow plow off and <laughs> went ended up down the bottom of the canyon. But <laughs> it was quite the quite the place. And to travel there, it it was well still is definitely isolated. But it was so a that- great place. We boarded the San Carlos reservation on one side and and we were at our place that Mac and Stella sold us was at the very first crossing on Eagle Creek. So, and we set up on kind of a little bench there and 
I don't know how many people I helped pull out of the crossing and uh yeah, a lot of a lot of stories there great memories the trailer house made the curve made the road yeah yeah i kind of got off where i was going <laughs> but yeah we got it up there it wasn't 40 foot long so we were able to get it up there we were at they had to stop the traffic to go around a lot of those curves and uh of course there never was much traffic to stop on it anyway but yeah. uh and then there was 18 miles of dirt road to get in there after the highway after you turned off the highway and we we lived in on eagle creek for 16 years i believe how long we lived in the area wow that's cool i i uh we were off the grid we were off the grid before we knew there was a grid (laughs) (laughs) you've never been on the grid until lately (laughs) no no (laughs) well there's not very many uh western homes that haven't at some point along the way had tim cox artwork in it and uh i saw i don't know i think it was uh been a few years ago now but uh the number of calendars you got i guess you syndicate those calendars that go go to businesses and stuff like that they hand them out for christmas presents and stuff like that do you know how many calendars you folks have published over the years tim I have no idea, but it's a ton of them. Susie orders pallet loads of them herself now. But how that deal worked, Susie's sister was working for, it was called Advertising Unlimited back then, and it's changed names several times. Right now it's called the Koozie Group, which the it, right before that it was called, run by BIC, like the BIC pins, but it's an advertising agency that sells promotional material of all kinds and Susie's sister was working for it, and she told him that you ought to look at my brother-in-law's work. He might work good for the calendars, and that was back in the early 80s. And so we got that deal, and then we get a percentage off of each calendar that's sold, and they pay us a fee up front, and then we get, uh, like I say, a percentage off of each calendar, and then Susie sells them herself as part of the deal. She renegotiated our contract several times where it's doing really it's a big part of our income right now and uh it's turned out to be a really good deal and when i went into it i was thinking this is like free advertising Mm -hmm. people are going to be able to see this and i don't have to pay for this advertising and they can see it every day of the year and that's kind of how i went into it we didn't the contract wasn't that good in the beginning but through the years Susie's uh built it up and and it, it's good for us now and I see them all over the country too and they they sell in Germany and Australia and foreign countries and all around the world I guess it's cool. a brilliant marketing move and uh I don't remember the numbers that Susie must have chased them down and had them actually, like I say, printed in like a cover letter or something like that. And I won't say the numbers, but I, I, cause I can't remember exactly what they were, but it was in the millions. It was just literally millions of calendars that have been sold since you folks got started back in the early eighties. So. Yeah, it, I wouldn't doubt it. Cause like I say, she orders pallet loads of them to sell here and we go through them 
this time of year, I, we get, I don't know how many orders a day for calendars and it, it's been a really good deal for us. And that's part of our business with me being so slow. And it's not that I don't work. Like I say, I work all the time, but uh, just slow. Well, well, I can identify with slow. My my mantra these days is uh, you run into somebody in the post office and they say, well, how are you doing? Oh, pretty good. Staying busy. Well, good. I said, well, it doesn't take too much to keep a slow guy busy. <laughs> so well, that is the truth. Did we lose Tim? I think he's gone. Tim's not here. He's a present, but we can't hear him. He must have bumped the the audio. Bump the mute button. I don't have him muted. Bumped he it. says he's he says he's not muted. Oh, he left. See now he'll be back. That's okay. Right. Now we'll edit well, something out. Now here he comes. There he is. I'm back. I don't know what. Here we are again. <laughs> back. Back. Out in the country here. I, our internet may not. I don't know if it's our internet or what happened, but anyway. Sorry, you're. I don't know where I you, was. Well, you, you sound. It, I don't know where you were either. <laughs> you're a good listener, Wilson. <laughs> I was listening really too. Then Carrie said, "I'm just a poor memory guy. I don't have any memory." Right, I live around. Willie doesn't know where he is, let alone where anyone exactly. else is. <laughs> exactly. I went to one of them one-room schoolhouses too, so. No. Oh, you did oh, on yeah. Salt Flat. Yeah, Salt Flat. I was I was the only one in kindergarten. Oh wow! Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. actually, I remember that. Did, did you get more students as you went on? We did. I saw when I started, it was kindergarten through fifth grade. I had nine kids in the school, and when I left, we left at the end of my third grade year, and there was twenty four in there. So it had more wow. than doubled. Yeah, and that. That school, when it first started, we were late getting it started, and all they, the teacher had was a wooden outhouse, and we had five boys that were in it, and she had to go in and start a fire for that one-room schoolhouse and cross the creek, and like started to say, we, <clears throat> we were late getting our application for a teacher in that year, <clears throat> and so we... We're finally were able to hire a first year. She had just finished up her schooling to get her teacher's degree and a young gal. And she thought she'd really love being out in the country and Mac and Stella had a guest house that she stayed in and she had to drive to school every day. And that was kind of a wet year. And after spending a cold fall, with five boys and an old wooden outhouse, she left us about October. <laughs> we had to find another one. But we were lucky, and I forget who came right after her, but we ended up with a teacher named Dr. Hazard, and he had a doctor's degree in teaching, and he had been teaching in military schools, and he just had got kind of burnt out. And uh, he really was a good teacher, and for those kids and we ended up having quite a few kids that year we had one special needs kid gifted kid and three uh english second language kids 
and he could speak Spanish, and so he was able to handle all of it. And I think we may have had like 10 or 12 that year. And I remember one day, and he liked the outdoors, Dr. Hazard did too, and he had an old German Shepherd dog just about time the school let out. He heard that dog barking off down below the school set up on an, a bench there above the creek and right above the campground where we'd have the barbecue for the cattle growers, bunch of big old sycamore trees down there. And he went over to the edge and looked off down there. And uh, that dog, had, that old German shepherd dog had treed a bear in a tree and he had a bear tag. And so he went down there and shot that bear took all the kids down there and they skimped the bear out and given them, give them a lesson in anatomy on bears. And Stella took the fat off of that bear and rendered it out and made apple pie with the lard. And they took the meat and made bear burritos. So they had bear burritos. (laughs) I don't know many schools that get that kind of education to their kids. No, oh, that's awesome. And I, mine was a similar deal. I mean, it was it was man and wife taught the whole school, and uh, and I, it was the greatest foundation I possibly could have had for my schooling from then on out. You know, I was so far ahead of the kids when I went to Fort Davis, and, and Fort Davis was a great school too. But and it was really cool with that one room schoolhouse experience that most people don't get. Right? They don't get that experience. Yeah, I think I think it was a great education for them. Yeah. Our son's a veterinarian now, and there's another kid that came from there that uh, he's a music star in in Texas right now and doing really good. And another one, uh, he runs big construction companies. And one of the teachers we ended up with was kind of an old hippie type guy, rode bicycles around, thought he wanted out there and and his wife ran off with the forest ranger, <laughs> so he got kind of depressed. <laughs> and but he he told and he got to where he didn't want to teach. And and Susie was the head of the school board, president of the school board, and so she was talking to him and says, "Well, I don't see why we even have to worry about it. These kids aren't going to ever amount to anything anyway." And that, hmm. and then they all did well that were there. I shouldn't say all, but the majority of them did well. That went to that school during those years. Good country kids, something to that. Yeah, that's cool that you went, Wilson, and I know where Salt Flats is because we had to drive through that part of the country to get to Carlsbad, where Susie was born and raised at Carlsbad, New Mexico. Oh man, well, I was born in Carlsbad too. So, oh wow, that was I'll the closest. Yeah, that was the wasn't the closest town but dr Slowdeath worked up in van horn and mom didn't want to go there so no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah dr so he slowly kill you you know he just kept you coming yeah. back <laughs> like those company doctors at that at marinci at the mining town there when jake was born they had a red-headed one-eyed old army doctor there and when Susie's water broke. We're at the double circles house that burnt down. She was standing there and we were drinking coffee with a couple of cowboy friends and neighbors. The water broke and we jumped in that 79 GMC pickup and drove. And I made that 
hour and a half drive in about 45 minutes and <laughs> a lot of it on two wheels around the corner and she didn't ever had another uh labor pain until we got there <laughs> so, but we got there and Bounced Jake right out. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it scared Susie so bad with my driving that she kind of clinched up for a while. <laughs> Hang on here. <laughs> but we got there, and that she thought she wanted to have it natural, and so she told him, "Don't told me don't let them give me any medicine." And so at the beginning, I wouldn't let them get any medicine, and about halfway through it she was screaming and was hollering for medicine and they wouldn't let let me go in the room back then they the husband couldn't go in the room back then and and i could hear her out in the lobby screaming and that doctor finally looked over at susie and told her shut up <laughs> and she was having he was having to lose use forceps on him because jake was oh. turned in there and no, and very little medication. And that old doctor just, oh, he was hateful. I remember another time I'd, a horse kicked me right in the face and busted my lip, knocked my uh, two front teeth out and cut up my bottom lip really bad. You could put your finger all the way through a hole in there. And I went down there to him and he's sewing me up and, and he gave me some lidocaine and it wasn't hurting too bad, but about halfway through that lidocaine wore off and his needle was getting dull and he was leading me around the room by my lip. <laughs> so, yeah, mm -hmm. he says, I'll just hang on. It's not that bad. And I thought, you aren't the one getting poked with that <laughs> needle in there <laughs> being led around the room. When, I, when he'd go to pull those stitches tight, he'd pull on them and I, my lip and my whole body would give up and go with him. <laughs> it it was kind of painful. He didn't have much bedside manner. I had a, I have a a friend one time that that got in a ruckus at a at a baseball game, caught a baseball bat across the forehead, and he needed required some stitches after that. And he went to a little quack shack deal, and and a little guy went to scrubbing a little harsh on the cut. Uh, the doctor not being very respectful of the pain that was happening there. So my buddy just reached over and grabbed the twins. And he said, uh, <laughs> of the doctor's twins. And said, yeah. he said, let's make a deal here. I won't hurt you if you don't hurt me. <laughs> that little doctor was doing a pretty good dance there for a minute. But he said, yes, sir, I agree. That's a good idea. <laughs> I wish I could uh thought through the pain to do that <laughs> another time i went down there uh, i'll tell you a little story on this i got to be pretty familiar at the emergency room in marinci so one of their better customers but uh we like i said we boarded the san carlos reservation and uh, the our neighbor the indian guy down there had been to town on a drunk and he had turned all of his horses and mules and a burro out and he come up to the house and asked me if I would go gather his horses for him so he could have them to ride. So I told him, yeah, sure. I'll do that. And so I went out there and was gathering his horses and it had come a little rain shower and that clay was kind of slick and a little, Oh, he probably a two year old coyote jumped up and I thought, I'm going to rope that sucker. And I built to him and built me a loop and we got to zigging and zagging 
that cow right on his tail and just about ready to rope him. And that horse stubbed his toe and went down and turned a hole over appetite. And I, when I come to, I was knocked out, hit my head on a rock and was knocked out. And I was looking right at his navel underneath him. And I rode those iron ring oxbows back then on my saddle. And I looked at my feet and they were hung up somehow. I'd, when I went off, I got under there and I was hung up with both feet. And I thought, if when he cut and it knocked the horse out too. And oh. when he come to, he's going to get up and drag me to death. And so I started uncensing him and, and I did the front cinch first thinking the others might have more of a chance to break than the back cinch. I mean, the front cinch. So I did it first. Then I did the back cinch and the breast collar. And just as I uh, got the back cinch off, he come to and jumped up on me and broke a couple of ribs there. And and <laughs> so I I got him caught and got him saddled back up. And just as I got him saddled back up, I looked up on the hill and about 25, 30 yards away, that coyote was up there and he went... And I said, you win, buddy. You win. You win that. <laughs> so I, I wrote, I went ahead and gathered all the neighbors' horses and cows. I'm not cows, but the burro and mules and horses and drove them in. And when I rode in, the sun was almost going down. And he looks at me and he says, man, I, it, it, don't blame me. Don't blame me. It's not my fault. I said, Dale, I'm not going to blame you. Just if you'll just open the gate so I don't have to get off. And my eye had swollen shut by that time and blood all over my face. And I said, I just want to go home. And mm -hmm. so he let me through the gate and I rode up there to the house and Susie walking down the road and she sees me and she just goes running backwards because I guess it must've been a pretty horrible sight with that eye swelled up and all that blood. And we went into the bathroom and had to take my clothes off and clean up to go to the hospital. And, and my clothes were nailed to me with a prickly pair of cactus yeah. thorns, but I could never got them off. So we had to sit there pulling the prickly pears out and then a long drive down to the, the hospital down there. And Marancy and I went in there and they says, you know where the x-ray machine is. You just go lay in there and go on there and we'll be in there in a minute. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'd been in there several other times, but yeah, that that time there, that 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 was painful. <laughs> you know, just a rope of Kyle. Yeah, that was the last time I did anything. Well, that wasn't the last time I did anything <laughs> foolish like that. <laughs> I thought about it a lot harder the next couple of times. <laughs> well, uh, and the Kyle still got the last word and told you so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that. that uh, that's just humiliating for him to do that to me. I mean, he didn't even run off. I guess maybe he thought he was going to have something to eat on back there for Guys <laughs> uh, are cool critters. I love to. I love to. I love to hunt them. Do the varmint call. Man, they're smart. They're they're so cool. Yeah. And when I was in high school, I had a '58 Chevy pickup and had positive traction, but I would run a trap line on the way to school every morning and get up about four o'clock and, and run my trap line. And when the ruts would get deep with the, on the roads and I knew where it was going to come out, I, 
I could cut across a canyon a foot and I'd meet my truck on the other side. It had a throttle <laughs> that you could <laughs> I just put it in the rut and, and it'd come on around like a train track. <laughs> That's pretty cool. But, go to school and I'd have coyotes and bobcat and fox in the back of my truck and the rifle in the gun rack and people would come and look at it. And it's a whole different world than it is today. Yeah. A whole different world. That's for sure. You were not a threat to society. No, no, it gave me good uh, gas money and running money to run that trap line. And there was a, I know one I and then I get home in the evening and I would saddle up my horse and run it another way. And I was telling somebody the other day about I had two old red Rhode Island roosters and I thought they'll make good bait and I'll go tie them out there and maybe catch a bobcat because bobcat hides brought the best money and and had a bay horse named Deuce. It just kind of an old plug type horse, but I bought him and and we cowboyed and went a thousand miles, more than a thousand miles, a bunch of miles on him. But I decided I was going to take those two roosters and I tied their feet together and threw them over the saddle horn, one on each side. And when I did that, those roosters went to flopping and that horse jerked away from me. And went to bucketing off down through there with those roosters flopping on each side of me. And my dad had built my mom a clothesline out of an iron oh. wagon hub with steel fence post and then heavy gauge wire. And he bucked in under that. Uh, and it, so it would go around and around on that hub, the, <laughs> the clothesline. And he bucked in under that clothesline and got hung up in it and was bucking around like a carousel horse on that clothesline. <laughs> <laughs> finally, the rooster came off somehow. He finally got them bucked off and he stopped and I was able to go catch him. But I changed my mind on using roosters. For <laughs> they would have been good bait, but getting them there was a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, Tim... This has been a delight, and uh, we probably getting—I don't know how long are we going, Willie. We're probably up on an hour, aren't we? Or, yeah, we're an hour and fifteen minutes or so. Oh well, uh, I guess we better go clock in. But Tim, I just wanted to congratulate you on all of your success. We celebrate with you and all of that. And uh, thing that I was thinking about this morning was, uh, and I think this is fundamental to what what both Wilson and I are trying to do are trying to trying to provide a little bit of a ray of sunshine in an otherwise dark world. Aren't we? I mean, that's, yeah. that's what it comes down to when somebody looks at your, your artwork and, and uh, trying to provide for them uh, a little bit of a diversion, a distraction from all the chaos and absurdity of life. And, and that's what, that's what I'm trying to do. I think Willie's can say the same thing and mm -hmm. certainly you have done it. Uh, at biblical proportions, my friend. So thank, thank you. you for that. And uh, we sure look forward to seeing you again down the road sometime. And uh, Merry like Christmas to, to everybody. Yeah, well, I admire you guys and I appreciate your talent and your dedication to what you do. And you guys are the very best at it. And I'd really admire you. And I 
appreciate your friendship also. We'll do, I have time to tell a real quick story on Salt Flats. Absolutely. Guys. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> sure. Okay. Susie and I were headed about this time of year back to Carlsbad for Christmas. And I was driving along there and we didn't have two nickels to rub together. And this cop, I was speeding at Salt Flats and this cop pulls us over and said, get in line. And he had about four or five cars and we had to get in the line. <laughs> and then he took us to his courthouse. I don't, do you remember where there was a courthouse there at Salt uh, Flats? Yeah, there's a little JP, little JP station. Yeah, and he mm -hmm. took us to that and in the middle of the night and we all had to sit in the courtroom and he was going to tell us our fines and, and would pay right there and come down to us and he said it's $25 and Susie went to crying and bawling and it's, it was Judge something being law west of Salt Flats, I remember, on his desk. Oh. And she went to crying and bawling and he said, I'll just forget it. And so we didn't have to pay that fine, but that's so, the only place I've ever been put in the conga line to go to the courthouse. What, what, uh, <laughs> what, what about what, when, when was that? What year? Uh, oh, probably... 78 somewhere yeah. at 77 78 i guess that would, that would have been gaylord scott <laughs> yeah. family was good friends with him. And he was something else he'd give he'd give his mama a ticket they said gaylord he'd give he'd, he'd, he'd <laughs> well he did a good job of convincing him that we were poor and broke which we were <laughs> yeah. But oh, yeah, yeah I, that was my salt flat experience getting in a line <laughs> of traffic to go in the middle of the night to be judged <laughs> that, that's fun well it, it is it is great to call you a friend tim and and uh, and the way you tell your story i challenge you you got enough stories in you let's see some of those on canvas which you probably have done a bunch <laughs> of but let's, let's there's some great stories yeah. that would look great on canvas yeah through the years i've done a lot of them so that's, that's what's cool. fun i like doing action and every every kind of scene i can think of after 47 years becomes harder to find um, something new. Well, and 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 Tim, Ben, Ben, as you you paint the way you do, where you don't have to have the the camera, the projection to do it, you can tell so many more stories of the West that are real, genuine, real life stories that most people might not even believe, right? But but because because they are real, and and you're able to uh, illustrate those stories, that's awesome. So good on you, man. I wish we had a lot more time because I could tell you a lot more stories. We'll have to get together. Sometime. We're going to have to schedule you in again for sure. This yeah. is awesome. I've got rope and bears. When you're talking about paintings like that, I was thinking of Russell, and I've got uh -huh. rope and bear stories, a couple of those and all kinds of stuff. So anyway, cool. we'll have to save that for another time. Well, it's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, and I really appreciate you guys and all that you do. Well, all right. Christmas. We'll Merry take Christmas. care. Give Susie, Susie a hug for us. Yeah. Okay. Merry Christmas, you guys. All right. Watch all right. out on the salt cat. <laughs> yeah, be careful. <laughs> <laughs> There's rocket ships now there, so you got to be careful, you know. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, you guys have a good Christmas and happy new year. Thanks. Sir. All right. Take Adios. care.